Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Brendan, welcome to another episode of the TFL Classics Podcast. And what are we discussing today? Thanks. Well, you're welcoming just me, but I would like to also welcome all of you that are listening and or watching this podcast. All three of them out yeah. there. <laughs> I think we got a couple thousand at least. That yeah, are we're doing in. better. We're doing yeah. better. Yeah, we're so doing okay. Big thank you to everybody who continue to listen and support the podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about everything classic cars. Sometimes we get the facts right, mostly get the facts wrong. Uh, but if you want to stay tuned to new cars, of course, my dad and Nathan have that discussion as well. And then Andre talks about trucks. So we're the classics guys. We like the weird old stuff. Yeah, we like to slot in right between the truck podcast and that car podcast to kind of shake things up a little bit for you. Instead of hearing about the brand new latest and greatest stuff we want to give you a little take back to the the old days of the the classics yeah but what we found is not too old because if we go pre-1980s everyone tunes out all three people leave yeah so we focus on the 90s and the 2000s because 2000s now are classics believe yeah. it or not yeah. 20 years ago wow incredible but let's talk a little bit about what we had for breakfast the other day because brendan completely astonished the entire team when he decided to put ranch dressing on hash browns <laughs> oh this is where we're going okay yeah so tommy was gracious enough to take out the team after filming to a brunch-ish kind of dinner or what am i saying here i just combined all three and the meals in one <laughs> sentence somehow but yeah no a brunch-ish kind of meal um and we all decided to get breakfasty kind of stuff and i got hash browns with corned beef hash and I asked for it extra crispy, and I put a little bit of ranch on it and a lot of hot sauce. You see, I eat ketchup with my hash browns. And in a previous episode, Brendan was giving me heck about putting ketchup on hash browns. And then there he is, just rubbing ranch dressing all over that puppy. <laughs> that was horrible. It's so good. Everybody at the table was looking at me with, like, stares of horror. Like, what did you just do to those hash browns? Oh. And I'm just over here enjoying my meal. And... I think some of the commenters kind of are more towards the ranch side than the ketchup side. Come on. <laughs> I still withhold 
that if you go to a breakfast place and they have the little condiment station there, you'll see hot sauce, jellies, salt, pepper, ketchup, no ranch dressing. If you saw ranch sitting out on the table, you probably wouldn't want to use it because ranch is better when it's refrigerated. If not, I think it I think it needs to be refrigerated. If I saw ranch dressing sitting on the table at a breakfast restaurant, I would just leave. <laughs> There's no excuse for that. No. That is clearly a breakfast restaurant that doesn't understand the fine taste of breakfast food. But Brendan, mm. I have some exciting news. Okay. So as you know, we have a Patreon page yeah. where people can help and support the team and help and support the podcast, keep this podcast alive, because seriously, it makes no money. Um, but we, of course, we need to pay for our time somehow. And you guys have been amazing on the Patreon page. And we have some questions. Ooh, nice. I'm excited. Some classic car questions on the Patreon page. And we're starting out with Duncan. Okay. So he's been a patron for some time now. And he says, hello. I have a question that I'm wondering if Tommy and Brendan might have a chance to look at. I'm looking for an older car to commute back and forth to work, about 50 miles round trip. The wow. smart buy, in my mind, would probably be a pre-2013 Honda Fit or a Toyota Echo or Yaris. However, I'm also looking at something in the all-wheel drive category to give me a little more stability in the snow and freezing rain. I live where we have an abundance of both in winter. I really like the first-generation Honda CRV, and I also admire the first-generation RAV4 as a fairly reliable, if somewhat ugly, all-wheel drive vehicle. Since Brendan and Tommy have vast experience with older vehicles, I was wondering if you could rank the following cars. Best bang for the buck from one to four. Okay. Ready for the cars? I'm ready. Honda Fit, Toyota Yaris or Echo, first-gen CRV, first-gen RAV4. Where I I have a question though. Did did you think about this? About I did. Do you want to rank it? Yes, I so have. So you want me to just throw it out there, or do you want to start? I can start. Okay. So I personally have a favorite of those vehicles. Okay. I am a sucker. I, first of all, all the vehicles, great choice. Yeah. Except for the Echo. That's not funny. a fan it's, of the it, Echo. It's it's the last on my list as well. Is it really? Yeah, and it's not because it's necessarily like uh, an unreliable vehicle. It's just when you sit in an Echo, and do yourself a favor if you're out there shopping, sit in an Echo. <laughs> they are just like the cheapest of cheap interiors you could possibly get. They are so bare bones and so minimalist. I mean, if that's your thing, then the Echo is your car. But if this is your only car, you're going to want at least some creature comforts, right? Yes, I would agree completely. I mean, the Echo is a fine little automobile. It's going to be very reliable for the most part. But um, the quality just isn't up to Toyota standards, in my opinion, with the Echo, because it yeah. was so bare bones. But my number one choice, it's an easy one for me, first-gen Honda Fit. I, well, we have the same number one choice. I love the first-gen Honda Fit. Me too. Genuinely. My, my grandma bought one brand new back in 2008, 2007, and it has been dead reliable, fun to drive. Yep. Little zippy four-cylinder engine. I think it's like a 1.5 or a 1.6. It's got the most roomy interior of any vehicle of that size with these magic seats that fold completely out of the way, tuck into different cubbies you didn't know existed, and you have a completely flat load floor. Great little car. Especially if you can find them in a stick shift. Yes. They are uh, actually like a, one of those cars that you'll get in and drive, and it will surprise you with how entertaining it is to drive. It's 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 not quite hot hatch level, but it's it's up there. It's honestly quite fun to drive, and I think it's one of those cars that kind of catches you off guard. You know, you get into it and you think, oh, this is just going to be a boring Econo box, but it's not. It's better than that. 
I just love them. I really yeah. think they're great. The other thing, too, is definitely recommend getting the Sport Package, which gave you alloy wheels. It gave you a front lip spoiler, side skirts, rear spoiler, rear fascia, um, paddle shifters, if you got the automatic. Believe wow. it or not, you got paddle shifters in the mid-2000s um, and a couple other changes as well. But definitely the top of my list. And I'd recommend getting snow tires because he says he lives in a winter environment. Sure. You know, find one with snow tires. Plus, it's the newest car on your list. So you can get, you know, a lot of airbags in that thing compared to the RAV4 yep. and the CRV. Great little car. So, what's your number two choice? I think my number two choice would have to be the Honda CRV, the first oh. gen. I really like those, actually. Okay. I think they're a pretty cool car. Um, I like I like the way that the interiors are packaged on those with the fold down armrests because I think the Rav Four is a little more traditional um, as far as you know like cars go. It just has kind of your standard center mounted armrest. Yep. Um, but the the CRV the first gens have kind of always you know interested me. I haven't actually owned one, but I have driven a bunch. Um, I, we we did spend some time with the Rav4 first gen, but here's the thing: both of those are probably going to get at least 10 miles per gallon worse yes. than the Honda Fit. Mm -hmm. And I think the trade-off for getting the all-wheel drive versus the front-wheel drive, it's just it doesn't, it's not as good, or it's not as good of a deal, considering you're just adding a little bit for the occasional slippage, you know? Right. The vast majority of the time you're going to be driving in front-wheel drive anyways, might as well just go with the Honda Fit and always wreak the benefit of the better MPG. I think you are spot on. Yeah, I mean, I love the first-gen RAV4, especially because it feels like you're driving a fishbowl. It's a good design. It's really small. Um, first-gen CRV, fantastic car. Pretty big community built around those cars, too. Yeah. Um, remember the picnic table in the back? Oh, yeah. Fold-out picnic table. Cool car, but if it's your only car, MPGs are going to be a problem. Both the CRV and the first gen RAV4, by modern standards, are woefully underpowered. Yes, they are both very, very slow. And for me, I think it's um, it's got to be um, the the fit all the way. And then at the very bottom of my list is going to be the Echo and the Yaris, both capable vehicles, right? Both can be very reliable, but they didn't have the fun factor of the other three on the list. There is one car that if if I could on your list, I know you asked us to rank these. If I could get rid of that Echo and Yaris and just kind of wipe it right off of your list, <laughs> I would throw the Honda Element in there because I think it'll give you the practicality of an SUV, but it can give you closer MPGs to the Honda Fit, and you can get it in a stick shift, and you can get it in all-wheel drive. It's a good choice, but they're expensive. Yeah, they're you a know. little... I mean, if you're looking at a first-gen Honda Fit versus the Honda Element, they're not that much more expensive. You don't think so? Mm -mm. Hmm. Not from what I've seen, at least. Okay. Um, the all-wheel drive in an all-wheel drive state, you're going to pay a premium for. Well, sure. But right. if you get the front-wheel drive, they're not too bad as yeah. far as price goes. That's true. Well, Jonathan, I hope... Or Duncan, excuse me. I hope that we've answered your question, Duncan. Um, we'll get to Jonathan's question here in a little bit. But let's move on to Brendan's list of affordable performance bargains yeah so i wanted to create a list for you guys of some cars that i think will give you the, the lowest zero to 60 for your dollar and i was focusing primarily on cars that you can buy for about fifteen thousand dollars or less and will uh give you that fizzy feeling when you're driving and give you a little bit of a kick in the back when you hit the throttle pedal and of course we made it in our typical form where we made uh, picked out 10 of them, starting with number 10, I picked the 5th Gen 
Ford Mustang GT, otherwise known as the S197 platform. Yeah, great choice, Brendan. Built from 2005 through 2014, this is, I think, the most attractive Mustang ever. So they went away from like the 90s kind of blobby look and then to the new edge, and then they went to this retro-styled beast in the early 2000s. Um, 09 and older are going to be the cheaper models. Now, yeah. the early ones had the 4.6-liter V8, not a ton of power, right around 300, which by modern standards is not a ton. But back in the day, it was pretty okay. And um, you could also get the 4-liter the V6. Yeah. I mean, the 4-liter V6 puts out 210 horsepower, and they're not bad. You know, if you if you really have a limited budget, it could be a fun little car. But if we're talking about something that's really going to give you performance, you're going to be hard-pressed to beat the value of that 4.6 V8 because the 4.6s are pretty reliable. Um, they put out a decent amount of horsepower. Now, if you get the newer versions, like uh, 2010 or newer, when they did the facelift, those have a lot more power, but they also bring a lot more money. So I really think if you stick to the you know, 05 to 09 versions, you know, 300 horsepower may not sound like a lot, but these have a really good community around them and can pull a lot of power out with some simple modifications. Um, and not only that, they look good too. So let's talk about the engines because I don't fully understand the Ford engine lineup of the late 90s and early 2000s because there are two primary displacements, 4.6 and 5.4. Right. And depending on who you talk to and depending on the year, certain 5.4s with Two valves, super reliable. Oh, my God, they go forever. And then add a third one. And oh, my God, they just explode all the time. Right. So I don't <laughs> want to speak too much about the reliability of these fifth-gen GTs. You can argue that in the comments section below. But regardless, they're, they're pretty affordable still. And they are great, um, I think, collector's items because they look cool. They look different yeah. than most cars on the road. I mean, they're kind of pre-collector status right now. Pre-collector. Yeah, I but like they're, that. They're, they're going to be collector cars for sure. I mean, most Mustangs are. I mean, look at some of the, the Mustangs from the 90s. Those are just any nice ones now are shooting up in value. It used to be just Fox bodies were super valuable. But now um, even the next generation Mustangs and the new edge Mustangs are starting to get super valuable. So these... Um, it's a good time to get in so because the, it's before they shoot up. The age-old question. Yeah? Are you getting convertible or coupe? On these, you got to go with the coupe. you got to go with the coupe. Yeah, I just think the convertible looks kind of funky. You don't these. want a comfy cruiser? No. No, I mean, so I own a Mustang convertible, and it's fine if you get, like, the base model with the automatic and you just want to cruise around in something that looks stylish. But if you want a performance car... I would get the coupe because these weren't built from the factory uh, with a convertible top. Like in, the, I'm sorry, they were built from the factory with a convertible top, but they weren't like designed intentionally with a convertible top. So that when you chop that roof off, they get a little bit wallowy and. Oh, you're gonna get some people yeah. coming after you, Brendan. Really? You think? Well, I think they were probably the coupe and the cabriolet were designed simultaneously, but sure. I'm sure there's more rigidity in the coupe. But when you compare it to like a Mazda Miata that was designed from the ground oh, up yeah. to be a convertible, right? Those feel a lot more tight and not as wallowy around the turns, you know? Whereas the Mustang was designed to be both 
And so you take a lot of that rigidity away when you lop off the roof. And then you add a lot of weight because they try and put it back in by adding rigidity underneath it by like extra bracing and whatnot. What I always thought was cool about these is if you got the GT trim, you got these big fog lights in the grill. Oh yeah. Right? And you got the four headlights in the front, but it's a little deceiving because you could also get a V6 with what I think they called the pony pack. And oh, really? it gave you the <laughs> it gave you fog lights in the grill, but like a slightly different fog light. So you, you gotta be a little careful when you're when you're out there shopping for Mustangs, I want to make sure that you're going out to look at the V8. Would you get the V8 over the 6? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. You have a Absolutely. V6 Mustang convertible. Well, yeah, I didn't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> we inherited that, so it's it's got sentimental value to us. And honestly, we haven't driven it in like three months. So. Oh, no. Yeah, it's it's probably going to need a jump start. And... Did you fix the transmission? No. It's still slipping on you? Yeah, it's still slipping. and I thought you said it was just doesn't... low, and then they filled it up, and it was like, it was fixed, and then it wasn't fixed? Yeah, I don't know. It's got a lot of miles, right? It's got a lot of miles, and it's it's not in the best of sh- I mean, cosmetically, it looks pretty good, but mechanically, it's just tired. Brendan bought a new super cheap car. Yes, I did. The highest mileage car he's ever owned. Yes, I have. It's a, I bought a 1996 Toyota Camry wagon i know when's the last time you saw a toyota camry pause wagon (laughs) you know that's a rare beast it is a rare beast and i think that's what attracted me to it i mean in in all reality i didn't even really think too much about it when it was going across the block at the auction story what 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 drew you to the wagon well i i've always kind of thought that those wagons were interesting looking Uh and then i realized it's got two wipers on the rear rather than one and it's got a stowaway third row seat which it has to be probably one of the last vehicles to have that stowaway third row seats. I don't I don't know of any more modern ones unless you do that have come come with that like a regular wagon with the third row. I mean there's plenty of SUVs with it, but um not much else. But anyways, yeah, so I was looking at it and I've always kind of been drawn to the higher mileage vehicles because they're super cheap and I think if they're well cared for, you can really get a good bargain. Um and I drove it for the auction and it, it Drove fine, you know, I just a little bit around the parking lot. But uh, when the auction actually happened, no one was interested in it. Like, what do you mean? Like, as soon as it pulled it, like, there was a car before it that everybody was interested in, this Oldsmobile. And as soon as that sold and the Toyota rolls across the auction block, all the all the dealers just walked away. Really? No one was interested. And so the dealer or the auctioneer was like, all right, can I get fifteen hundred bucks? Fifteen hundred bucks. Nobody. And he drops down to a thousand dollars. Nobody. Drops down to five hundred bucks. Nobody. And I'm just kind of like looking around, and no one has any interest at all. And I just kind of raised my hand, and I went, "Well, maybe I'd buy it for five hundred bucks." Yeah. Thinking that would start the auction off and start the bidding and get the bidding rolling. You know, somebody would bid six hundred, and then maybe I'd hit it seven, and. But no, I raised my hand at 500 and the auctioneer just immediately slapped the gavel down and said, sold, $500. Wow. wow. <laughs> so paint the picture of this Camry wagon. What are we looking at? What kind of condition is a 350,000-mile Camry in? Surprisingly good condition. Um, it's got a check engine light because of the bad knock sensor. Okay. Which, from what I was reading, is fairly simple. It's got an ABS light on. No idea why. One of the power windows doesn't work. And one of the rear wipers doesn't work. Oh, because it's got two. Yeah. So it still has one good rear wiper. <laughs> um, Maybe that's why they put two. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case, in case one, one fails. fails. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. 
But otherwise, everything works as it should. The suspension works good. It's got decent tires on it. The paint's not terrible on it. I mean, it's it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, it even has working air conditioning. Wow. So I noticed from a quick glance, you're missing two hubcaps. Oh, yes. Yeah, it has the front two hubcaps, but it doesn't have the rear two hubcaps. Yes. So is this going to be a, are you going to restore the Camry wagon? The interior is pretty nice. Like it I is. saw the seats. It's pretty clean. Yeah. Well, that's actually, I want to ask you, Tommy, right. what what should we do with this on the channel? I mean, and, and the question goes out to you guys as well. What would you like to see us do the with this Camry The 350,000 mile Camry wagon. Yeah. What kind of tests would you like to see done? Yeah. yeah. I want to know. It'll be interesting. I'm open to whatever you guys have ideas for. Is this the four-cylinder or the V6? It's the V6. It's wow. loaded. It's got the three-liter V6 and uh, the power windows versus the roll-down windows. Yeah. It's a nice car. I wanted to point out, for those of you watching on YouTube, there was a much newer car that still had a third row that faced the back. Oh, was there? Yep. And it's the Tesla Model S. What? Had a third row... Optional third row. Yeah, not a lot of people remember this, but it was genuinely a third row with seatbelts. It looks like roller coaster seatbelts that faced the back. I didn't know that. And then they folded down out of the way. Wow. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's technically a hatchback, the Model S, but like right. it looks more like a sedan. But sure enough, there's the optional third row. So you're like hopping in through the hatchback. That's good. You are. That's how you get in. Yeah. Well, that's how you get in. I guess that is too. how I get in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people would tell me that back in the day, everybody had third rows like all the old wagons from from the 60s and 70s right they all had the third rows facing backwards and the mercedes did it and volvo did it i think volvo did it yeah um so it was a big thing for a while see to me i get sick just riding around in the back seat i can't even imagine also having to face backwards <laughs> it's like a train <laughs> i it's just you're just asking for me to get sick yeah. on the car ride well the next performance bargain and i really want one of these but i know i shouldn't it's the E90 BMW 335. Yeah, these came out in 2006 and were sold through 2011. And yeah, I will say, I've driven some of these. I know you're a bigger fan of these than I am because I actually prefer the previous gens, um, mainly because of the reliability issues that go along with these. Well, because but, the previous gens were so reliable. Right well, <laughs> they're more reliable. I wouldn't say they're so reliable. But this is kind of when BMW decided to start throwing turbos on their six cylinders. Yeah. Because prior to that, they were just kind of known for their straight sixes. Um, and, but, like, BMW but, yeah. had played around with turbocharging a little bit in the past, like the sure. 2002 turbos. But this was the first time they had a mass market inline six turbocharged engine. And the 335, when it debuted, I remember this, it was a long time ago, but that was such a beast. It was like 300 horsepower or thereabouts through um, an inline six cylinder engine, two turbos, if I remember right. Yep. That engine was called the N54. It grew a reputation for having some issues. But uh, rear wheel drive, <laughs> manual. Some issues? Yeah, yeah. High pressure <laughs> fuel pumps and maybe some turbocharging things in here and there. But like manual transmission, 300 horsepower, and then later like 335. The thing was just a beast. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty cool cars. I, I will say. Pretty cool cars, we, Brendan. So we've driven the Mustang GT at auction, the, mm -hmm. the generation we just talked about, and we've driven the E9335. And yeah, I know we're up here at elevation where turbos feel faster, but the 335 that we drove felt like way faster. Yep. than that the the V8 Mustang. And the V8 Mustang supposedly has the same amount of horsepower, but 
I don't know if it's it's somebody had tuned that one that we drove or if that's just how quick they feel from the factory, but uh, these ones will surprise you with how quick they really do feel once you get in it. I mean, it says on paper 306 horsepower, but if you had told me it was 406 horsepower from the feel of that, I would have believed Yeah, that. they really haul ass. And yeah. I think part of that is just due to the torque that they deliver and the way they deliver their torque. But two turbochargers, direct injection system on the N54, um, and then the N55 replaced that engine, and it was, I think, significantly more durable. But um, the the N54 had a, a, a two turbochargers, right? It kind of had, um, it was called the twin power turbo, um, but now BMW uses that for their, their twin scroll turbo. But I think it was, a, it was like a, a little turbo and a slightly bigger turbo. And the idea was you have like a smaller turbo for lower RPMs and the larger turbo for higher RPMs. And someone can correct me if I'm incorrect about that. Yeah, and I think in 2010 is when they changed it to a single turbo, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, the twin scroll. That's right. Remember, they went to the twin yep. scroll. I just think it's – I ever since I was a little kid, though, I've always wanted a car with twin turbos. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, didn't you guys – oh, no, wait – I was just going to say you guys had a 300ZX, but that was the NA, wasn't it? That was an A. Yeah, I've never owned a car with two turbos. Oh. I just think that's Well, this the might be the thing. cheapest way to get a twin turbo, to be honest. They've come down quite a bit. They're hard to find in good shape. So yeah. the tuning community really figured these out, and they were really tuned often and often not very well. So it was easy to quick get good power out of them, but often that came at the problem of reliability, right? Yeah. Um, and so many of them have been, just been butchered at this point. But we saw one at the auction, pretty high mileage, like 150K, but it was bone stock as far as I could tell. Yeah. And that was the one we drove. We were like, holy cow, this thing hauls ass. Yeah, it was. It, it seemed pretty reliable. I mean, it seemed like there weren't major no, issues the thing was going running great. with it. Yeah, high-pressure fuel pumps were a really big issue with, with the, the N54 engine. But um, I just I, – I love them. I think they're cool. And I think it's – not the best looking three series. I think sure. your your beloved E46 is better looking, but I just I love the way they drive. You know, hydraulic power steering. You can get them in all wheel drive. You can get them with um, navigation or with like just the flat dash, right? Sure. It's just a good good all round BMW. This is the highlight, and I think like that's the coupe, which is not my favorite design, the E92. You but prefer what the sedan? I like the sedan more. Oh. Okay. But I think that's a better looking car than almost any new BMW. Well, yeah, you know? because that's back when the kidney proportion or the kidney grills were proportioned proportioned to the correctly to the car. Yeah. Yes, I well, agree. Well, Tommy, is it time? Time to take an ad, and we do not know per usual what the ad is. So surprise us. You know, maybe it'll be an ad about toilet paper or healthcare. We have no control over the ad. No idea. Maybe it'll be a ketchup on hash browns ad. I better be. If it's a, <laughs> if it's a uh, if it's a ranch on hash browns ad, you have my permission to click out. <laughs> well, either way, we'll be right back. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, guys. Welcome back. And if you are still watching, thanks for watching that. Or listening. Or listening, yes. Yeah. And um, for those of you who had the ketchup on Hashburn's ad, congratulations. (laughs) If you had a ranch dressing ad. Congratulations. I do apologize. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Things have gone really badly. Um, now, number eight on our list, Brendan. Yeah, we are going to go with the Nissan 350Z. Uh, and there are a lot of different Zs that you could look at, but I do think if you're measuring the best zero to 60 or best quarter mile time for your dollar, the 350Z is going to be hard to beat. These came out in 2003 and were sold through 2008. Uh, and <laughs> in reality, even the current Z is based off of this exact platform. So if you think about it, you're you're basically getting a brand new Z for a lot less money. That's a terrible way of looking at it. It is not <laughs> at all like the new one. I mean, technically, maybe some of the hard points are similar, but the car is very different. Now, do you like these Zs? I do. You know, I think the best looking of the Zs is probably the convertible version, because I really like those two rear humps that are sitting on the back of it. Um but I do really like these. They again, we're talking about a car that has close to you know right around that 300 horsepower mark. Go into the rear wheels. You can get it with a six-speed manual. And I'm one of those weird people that actually really likes the sound of this VQ engine. Yeah, you're the only one. <laughs> well, I like it when it's <laughs> not modified. I like it from its like its factory sound. I think it's a. You like it to sound like a, a sound. Nissan Frontier. Oh my gosh. But I think I think the exhaust on this sounds a little better than the Nissan Frontier. I mean, they gave it a little bit of a sporty tune. My issue with the VQ series is when you put an exhaust on it, it sounds exactly like a fourth grader trying to learn the trombone. <laughs> it says Well, don't put it Yeah, stop stop modifying the exhaust of these 350Zs. And I will say the Infinity G37 is also I think of equal value. They're a little bit heavier, so not quite as fast, hence why I went with the 350Z, but they are basically the same car. It's just the more luxurious version of it, if you if you could say. This car was a little bit of a letdown, though, when it debuted. I think compared to like the Z32 generation of Z, the 300ZX, because okay. that car had twin turbos and four-wheel steering and all this crazy technology. And then the new Z came out, and it was naturally aspirated only, didn't have the four-wheel steering. Um but I know there was a lot of excitement initially, and then kind of the excitement faded when these were all drifted into trees and into school zones. Uh, but now the excitement's school back zones. because I think people are are kind of realizing that this was a pretty cool piece of design. Well, yeah, and now it's getting to the point to where it's hard to find one that hasn't been modified. And driven sideways through a school zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's why I think they're starting to become collector's items um, because the ones that are out there that are factory um that still look really good and still sound like they were meant to sound um or just i think they're just a cool timeless design i think they will go down as such and i mean even like the interior on them has kind of a retro 
modern look to them. Um, they're just they're a cool car, and uh, they were cheap for so long that the wrong people bought them. And yeah. it's it's bad that they got that. Re- it's a bummer that they got that reputation. Yeah, it, I agree. I mean, they're cool cars, but yeah, they, they got kind of sucked up by the wrong crowds. Um, we have another question. Okay. Coming from Patreon once again. And if you want to support the team at patreon.com slash TFL car. And we'd love to answer questions online here because that's one of our favorite things we do. This question comes from Jonathan. TFL Classics. Ready? Okay. Would love to hear your thoughts on the Chevy Monte Carlo. I used to love them growing up and was reminded of my youthful obsession watching your Mercury Grand Marquis video. Probably nice. not a great fit, but would love to hear Brendan and Tommy riff off in a TFL Classics pod amongst your range of topics. Thanks for the great content as always. So, I know that Tommy and I are... I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm guessing that Tommy and I are going to differ on this. But I actually kind of dig the Monte Carlo. I, I would, I think I would prefer to have like a Pontiac Grand Prix uh, over the Monte Carlo. But I get the attraction to it because I've driven the Grand Prix and they're surprisingly comfortable. They get decent fuel economy. They're relatively reliable as far as GM vehicles go. Um, and if you get the SS version, you can get that supercharged V6 that is pretty fun to drive, actually. But uh, I want to know what your opinion is on the, the Monte Carlo. Well, we need to talk about which Monte Carlo. Yeah, I guess there's. I guess there are a lot of different generations of it. I guess I'm thinking of the the last generation Monte Carlo. So I like the 80s Monte Carlos a lot, like the G-body Monte Carlos from like 82 through 88. Um, Really iconic, classic designs, right? Very well loved by many, many generations. There was an SS model as well, which was very, very cool. Um, and even before that, I think the Monte Carlos were very attractive vehicles. Where I had a problem with them is where they started to move more toward the front-wheel drive platforms, like in sure. 95. And then the one I really dislike with the strong passion is the 2000 through 2005 Monte Carlo, where it looks like a box of melted crayons. <laughs> Um, and then it was, doesn't smell like crayons like a Volkswagen. Yeah, but you like the you like the later Monte Carlos, huh? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I prefer the Grand Prix as far as styling goes, and plus the the Grand Prix you can get a four door version of it, and they're essentially underneath. You know, when you're talking the last gen Monte Carlo, essentially underneath the same vehicle, mm. um, or like a Pontiac Bonneville, I think would also be really cool. Um, you know, or even an Impala. The 0607 Monte Carlos got back to being much cooler. I think yeah. the kind of they, they 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 squared them off a little bit, but yeah, the I just primarily the looks I don't like about the uh, uh, what generation is that the sixth generation Monte Carlo. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it is front wheel drive, so the enthusiast factor of it is down because of the front wheel drive. But if you're just talking about a car that's going to be your daily. Um, they're pretty comfy to get around, and when you put your pedal to the floor, they move pretty good, honestly, especially if you got the supercharged version like the SS. Did you know they actually made a Dale Earnhardt edition of that? Oh, my god! But it was really just kind of a sticker package on the Monte Carlo really? SS. So yeah. if you're watching on YouTube, that is the Monte Carlo. Now, I purposely put up a blurry image so it is less <laughs> jarring to the eye. Oh, gosh. Um, no, I mean, I, I understand why people like them. And they, you could get the 5.3 in these, right? 
Oh, could you? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. You could, I guess you, in the you later ones, them. that's true because I guess the Impala SS did move to the 5.3 as well. But mm-hmm. here's the thing I do know at least about the Impalas. I would assume it's the same with the Monte Carlos is when they did move over to that 5.3, they didn't necessarily upgrade the transmission like they should. <laughs> and so the transmissions are kind of known to grenade themselves, especially when you're like doing like a 30 to 60 launch. Um, they have a tendency to go. Okay. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. And as you mentioned, you could also get the supercharged. Yeah. Which which is pretty cool. I like superchargers a yeah. lot. Yeah. That's the one I would get. I, I would go before they switched over to the V8 and get that supercharged 3.8 because those 3.8s are just fantastic. Probably the best v, American V6 ever made. I would get a third gen Monte Carlo or a fourth gen. Um, those are my favorite. The really square ones from like the 70s through the 80s. There you go. Um, very, very cool. Uh, and the 90s too. Um, so the Monte Carlo discussion over. So are you pro Monte Carlo? I'm pro Monte Carlo. I'm pro Monte Carlo with an asterisk. Okay. Just not too Pro some Monte Carlos. Pro most Monte Carlos. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's right. All right. Should we go on to your number seven choice? Yeah, let's on go on to number seven. So I decided to do the Mercedes CLS 55 AMG. And there's a bunch of Mercedes actually that you could find in here uh, with a similar engine, um, similar price point, but I think the CLS is the best looking of the bunch, in my personal opinion. Uh, when these came out in 2004, they kind of, I think, revolutionized the idea of a coupe-styled sedan, you know? Um, and if you got the AMG version of it, you were treated with a 5.4-liter V8. <laughs> treated? That, yes, and it had a supercharger on it, putting out 469 horsepower. And I just saw one sell on an auction site to be named for less than $10,000. Uh, you really, you like that, huh? I do. Let me, let me, let me pull it off. Oh, Brendan. That's so good. Yeah. It's the Coopy sedan. I'm not sure. Sh- and now they're, they're all the true. rage. Yes. I think the rear angle is gorgeous. Right, the coupe sedan. You're right. That's a good way to put it because it's all the rage. Yeah. But the front end, it's just not it. I mean, why the headlights are very phallic. They're well, I think they're they're closer to like the Porsche Runny Egg. Yes, it looks like something you would get in an adult entertainment store. The headlight on that thing. <laughs> I, I just this came from the really bad era of Mercedes. Okay. The really under-engineered era where the quality went down and the cost cutting went up, um, but. If we're talking about a performance bargain, the power is impressive. And the engines are very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 469 horsepower in a sedan where you can bring three of your friends along with you and impress them with your powerful V8s for less than $10,000. Do you like the look? I do like the look. You like the look. I know some people would prefer like the E55 AMG. Those actually tend to bring a little bit more money than the CLS. And I think that's simply because a lot of people have forgotten about the CLS. We did drive, I think the face of models look better, but we drove the 500, remember at auction? Oh, yes. A while back. The CLS yeah, 500. Yeah, we did. It was a CLS and 500. It, it went like hell. I will say, it was yeah. that even not the non AMG model was a performance machine. Um, I would venture for even less money if you want this era of Mercedes Benz and an AMG. Do apologize the noise. They are doing some polishing outside. Yeah, Tommy's getting his uh, original mini. Yes, uh, very a, a nice buff and polish. Very spiffy, and... but it does sound like we are relieving <laughs> ourselves of 
flatulence in the studio. Yeah, if, if you guys can hear it. Sorry about that. Yes. Um, I would pitch to you that the ML55 oh, yeah. is, in some ways, cheaper and more interesting. It's cheaper, but it's not as fast. Those only had, what, 350-something something like horsepower? That. Yeah, the natural aspirator. And it's much heavier. It's not as good around a turn, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're cool. I will grant you that. The ML55 is cool. They are cheaper, and they're probably more reliable, but I would rather be seen in a CLS. In a CLS. Yes. You're a CLS kind of guy, huh? Well, when you pull up in an ML55, the vast majority of people just think it's an old ML because it doesn't look that different from the other MLs. They, mm-hmm. It was pretty understated for the time, and so a lot of people just think, like, oh, it's just... Someone yeah, driving yeah, around an old SUV. You pull up in a CLS. And, and they're going to think. And they're going to think, ooh, this that guy, guy's got money. This guy hates his bank account. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah. they're going to think. Now, the next car on our list is a car I am completely on board with. It is the Pontiac, the Trans Am. There's Brendan standing <laughs> proud in front of it. But we're talking specifically about the 1990s through the very early 2000s version of the Trans Am. Yeah, so there was a refresh in the middle of there. But if, if even if you got the uh, the early versions, I think these are great vehicles. They originally came with the LT1 V8 um, and later had the LS1 V8. And I, I think the LS1s are definitely, definitely more desirable. But I will say the LT1s aren't to be slept on either. They are still plenty powerful not quite as reliable, but they are a heck of a lot cheaper. Yeah, 100%. Now, this is the fourth-gen Trans Am, 1993 through 2002. And these are some of the funkiest designs out there. Now, I've said in previous episodes that I do not much love the design. Yeah. Just because I've always thought it was a little blobby and weird. But now that every car looks the same, it's a pretty cool design. The F-Body yeah. Trans Am is really kind of coming out. Coming out on its own. Well, and here's the thing. This is prior to, you know, like with the Mustang we talked about, that Mustang was a harken back to the original Mustang, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't necessarily an, an original design idea, whereas the fourth-gen Camaro, I think, was kind of like the last Camaro that was like the original design idea that was so mm. different from any other Camaro out there and still very different from just about any other car that's ever been made, to be honest with you. It's just, it's such a unique look out there. And I think it's cool that you could have that where they were still thinking about futuristic design. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's not retro at all. And yeah. that certainly applies to the uh, the Firebird as well. The Camaro and the Firebird are sibling cars. Yep. But yeah, I mean, certain versions of this car have gotten very expensive. So the later ones, 98 through 02, had the LS1 engine. And if you got what they called the WS6, which is like the handling package and the high performance package, I mean, you're going to be spending in some cases 20, 25, 30 grand. Yeah, right? sure. Now, ours is a 95. Um, does have, you know, some suspension um, factory upgrades and brake factory upgrades. And it is what they called the Comp TA, which is like the uh, it was a special edition to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the BF Goodrich Comp TA tire. Um, we bought ours for just under $7,000. It's a hell of a lot of car for the money. It is. And I know recently, since we actually just did a drag race, I don't know if that video is out yet, but it will be soon on the TFL Classics YouTube channel. I think this was like maybe one of your first times of ever actually spending a long period of driving it. 
And I want to know what your opinion on it was actually getting in and finally driving it to see what it's like to go down the road. Well, the interior is made out of the same stuff they make the Happy Meals toys out of. <laughs> I mean, it's just like yeah. the nastiest, cheapest plastics. But it is a very, very interesting driving experience. You get this enormous hood that extends like three feet beyond the front wheels. Enormous dashboard, huge windows with glass T-tops. And uh, it was really good. I mean, it's definitely not as handling-oriented as a C4 or C5 Corvette. Right. Like, you can feel the solid axle kind of hopping around. The spring rate is definitely softer for a more comfortable ride. But the engine's wonderful. So ours has the LT1, which made – it's rated at, like, 305, 310 horsepower back in the day. But it's got this nice, chunky, low torque band under, like, four or 5,000 RPM. So you just hit the throttle even in the lower RPMs. It'll drag itself out of bed. And then it's got a, a six-speed manual, which just feels great. Um, good brakes. Yeah, great car. Love it. Especially if you get a early one. Avoid the craziness with the WS6 hype. Get an early one with the 5.7. You're going to have a pretty good time. Yeah, I think they're definitely a performance car bargain. Hence why they made this list. All right, we got more questions. Listen to all the questions we've been having today, Brendan. Nice. Um, I have lost the questions. Oh, no. <laughs> I do not know where they have gone. They have completely disappeared from well, my phone. Well, and I just want to say, so if you want your question for sure read on air, check us out over or check us out over on Patreon.com. Um, what is it on Patreon? TFL Car or is it? Yeah, it's Patreon.com/TFLCar or send us an email, um, and we'll try to get to your questions. Um, that would be info at TFLCar.com. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay. I think I found the question here. This is an email from Josh. Okay. All right, ready? I'm ready. I am in the market, speaking of Trans Ams, for a mid-1990s Ford Mustang or Chevrolet Camaro. Sorry, my brain just shot out there. <laughs> um, I've got roughly $10,000 to spend. Love the videos. Great drag races. What would you recommend? Mid-90s Mustang, mid-90s Camaro. Camaro. Oh, man. The My old, wife the, is going to hate me for the that. The age-old Mustang Camaro debate. Yeah. I think if you're looking at the mid-'90s specifically, the Camaro was just measurably better in every way. Well, it was faster. It was faster, yes. yes. And I think it, was, it just it looks better, too, honestly. If you're, if you're going for... Like if you if you wanted to switch over to like maybe the early two thousands like the new edge or uh, when they redesigned it in two thousand and five, I would probably venture to say Mustang. But if you are talking mid nineties, I think it's an easy Camaro decision. Interesting. Wow, easy for you. Now, granted, horsepower wars. The Camaro won by a huge margin. Oh yes. I mean, like a Mustang GT in ninety seven was making two hundred and fifteen horsepower, whereas you know, Trans Ams and Camaro SSs were making 285, 300 horsepower in a lot of cases. Um, and then, of course, Ford came out with the Cobra, which everyone complained about. And they came out with the Terminator, right? Am I getting yep. my order right? And yeah. Then the Mach 1s. And then they got really cool. But horsepower in the mid-90s, certainly GM was winning. Um, the Fords do have a lot of reliability. So those, those two-valve 4.6s, they're not very quick, but they sound cool and they go forever. That I will say. The Mustang has always, in my opinion, sounded better mm. going down the road than the Camaro has. But I think as far as driving experience goes, the Camaro wins, at least at least for the mid-'90s. Um, again, I think if you were to go over to like the New Edge Mustang, um, 
Now, if you're looking at the Cobra on the new edge, it, it's a totally different ballpark as far as price goes. Um, but they were smoking the Camaros. So you're a Camaro? I'm saying Mustang. Really? Those SN95s are warming up to me. Yeah. I love the one we owned. Yeah, I mean, they're not as fast, but just the, 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 the way they make you feel feels pretty good. Um, okay, one more uh, uh, comment here from Jason sent us an email. I wanted to add one feature you guys missed. We did a podcast talking about classic car features we wish would come back. Oh, yeah. Um, car window and specifically rear window louvers. Rear window Oh, like on minivans. It harkens back to my 16-year-old lust after a 1982 Datsun 280ZX for sale on the side of the road between Lafayette and Broomfield. Needless to say, my parents weren't on board with this idea or the massive increase in their car insurance rates. No, not on minivans. You say like on minivans? <laughs> Brandon, like not at all like on minivans. <laughs> not at all like on minivans. Well, yeah, no, he's talking. He said rear window louvers. Louvers. Oh, louv I'm sorry. I'm picturing when you pop out the rear windows a no, little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So the louvers that actually go over the rear windows. Yeah, oh that would God. be funny to see a minivan with rear window louvers. We're over here. But Side <laughs> pipes. Brandon's like like on minivans. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, no, I would say louvers are pretty cool. Um, I think Case and I just talked about that in the last podcast, actually, that if I were to get one of those uh, third-gen Camaros, that I would get it with the rear window louvers because oh. it's very, it's a very, like, 70s and 80s look to yeah. have those rear window louvers. Um, we actually, um, or I just reviewed a Volvo that had those rear window louvers that's up on TFL Classics right now. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a good look. It's a good it, look. I mean, it limits your visibility a little bit, but it's a good look. It looks good. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys, it's time for yet another ad break. And this time, we don't know what's happening still again. Yeah. We don't know what ad is going to Or play. even if there's going to be an ad at all. Some of you yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes the ad breaks just don't happen. Yeah. So you'll either hear us in 30 seconds or you'll hear us immediately, in which case <laughs> it'll just be very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> either way, we'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back from our ad break. We hope you enjoyed it, or if it didn't work, you just heard us, in which case we just looked very stupid. <laughs> Either way, 
Yes, for listening, and thanks for uh, staying with us. And we're back with yet another affordable performance bargain. Yeah. The Audi S4. Brendan picked a lot of cards which are going to be very expensive to maintain. He's like, I want cheap entry, but it to bankrupt you over a lot. Next up, it's going to be like Range Rover Supercharged. Oh, gosh. You know I wouldn't put a Range Rover on this (laughs) list. No, uh, the Audi S4. So I'm specifically talking about like the B6 or B7 S4. When they went away from that terrible 2.7 liter bi-turbo V6 and switched over to the 4.2 liter V8 engine. Um, and it was it's a really cool car. I mean, you're talking, they went from a twin turbo six to like a muscly V8 sedan or coupe or hatchback because they, I'm sorry, not hatchback, sedan, coupe or convertible because they made it in all three forms. Did they do a coupe? Um, do you mean wagon? You're right. Yeah. I mean, a wagon. Sedan, wagon, and convertible. So, yeah. You'll get there. Brendan. I'll get there. You're just Sorry, naming guys. all the names. I'm, I'm just totally coming out of left field here. But they made it in a lot of different versions. And it was, I think, probably my favorite of the S4s. And, in fact, you actually got a chance to ride in a wagon with a six-speed manual, if you remember. Yes, I sure did. Um, and it was very cool. It was a B7. Yep, so the newer version. And mm-hmm. and the B7s, I think, are very similar to the B6. They're actually based off the same Did the platform. B6 have a V8, too, in the yeah. S? Oh, really? Oh, um, Yeah. I, so you made it You made it sound like the, the V8 is way better than the twin-turbo V6. Well, it's marginally more reliable. Yeah, but so the uh, with the twin-turbo V6 to fix the timing belts, the whole front end of the car had to come off. Yeah. Remember, the B7, the timing device, was all the way at the firewall. And then the whole front of the car had to come off, and also the engine, which is not so good. But you don't have turbos that can blow. You don't have the turbos in the V8 car. That's a good point. I liked it a lot. I mean, it wasn't that fast by modern standards, but it made some great noises. That 4.2 liter makes some cool crack, pack, crack, snap, crackle, and <laughs> the pop snaps and the the crack, crinkles. Hey, we're both going off the edges here. <laughs> what was that saying? <laughs> snap, Crin- crackle, pop. Crinkle, snap, old plip. <laughs> if your if your car is making plip sounds, I'm a little. <laughs> I'd be a little concerned to be honest with you. Well, it's it's snap snap snap, snap crackle crap. crop snap crackle. <laughs> now you got me. Now you got me all messed up. Snap pap crap. I think <laughs> I think you're talking about Rice Krispies, not a, oh, not a V8 Oh, that's engine. right. Okay. Yeah, but it gives you the pops and the burbles of a good old you know muscly. Uh, V8 with a six, you could get it with a six speed manual. The vast majority of them actually came with automatics. So the manuals are quite rare uh, and do fetch a premium over the automatics. That's but it's a, a lot of weight to be holding over the front of that car, though. Yeah. You know, from a, but Quattro all wheel drive, which was good. Yeah. Pretty good interior, bucket seats. Yeah, that's a cool car. It's a cool car. Just um, also s- save however some much, money. Yeah, however much you spend on the car. Save an equal amount of money in your bank account <laughs> Can we just recommend- for the, the, the repairs that could happen down the road. <laughs> we just recommended a car where you need to save the same amount of money to fix it. Yeah. 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 You, you may want to do that with the E9335 as well, to be <laughs> Have honest you considered with you. a 1994 Celica? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be reliable. That's, that's a good reliable vehicle. It's but, not a lot um, of fun, is it? Performance but it's, bargains. But it's not a performance bargain, for sure. This one is, though, the Mazda Speed 3. Absolutely. We're talking first gen or second gen? I Well, they're both pretty similar, but I prefer the non-smiley face first gens. 
that came out in 2007 and sold through 2009. They both had the same 2.3 liter turbocharged four cylinder that was just a, a straight up hoot to drive. Wow, great word. Hoot. A hoot. <laughs> you can go hooting down the road and your 263 horsepower front wheel drive hot hatch. Now, why are you recommending the first gen Speed 3 but not the second? It's not that I'm not recommending the second gen. It's simply that if you look at the front end of a second gen, it looks like a big, goofy, smiley face. And once you see it, you will not be able to unsee it. And that is the problem. <laughs> okay. It's faster, though. Is it? By how much? Well, maybe it's not. It made more power. Yeah. Definitely made more power. I remember that we we had a second gen on loan, and the most notable thing about the second gen is that it would steer itself anywhere it wanted except in a straight line. Yeah. The torque steer was immense. And the first gen had the same issue, too. But I remember, like, it was, I want to say, close to... 300 horsepower in the Speed 3 in the second gen. Was um, it? it was a lot of power, maybe 250, and it was like way more than the um, than the equivalent GTI. Uh, 263 horsepower. But at that time, that was like, oh so my God. So it's the same as the first gen then. Is it really? Yeah. What the yeah, heck? I think they use the exact same engine in both gens. And I think actually they use the exact same engine in the Mazda Speed 6, but the Mazda Speed 6 was significantly heavier because oh, right. it also had all-wheel drive, hence why the Mazda Speed 3 is actually faster. Yeah, I am just all over the board. It is a, it is a 263 horsepower in the second. Is that the same same as the first gen? Yes, yeah, so yeah. the first one. It doesn't look like it's smiling. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's smiling, and it, it's just, a I think, more of a timeless design. But it doesn't have the hood scoop. That's true. You are missing out on the hood scoop. And the other question I have, oh, and you know what? The first gen is actually faster. You want to know why? Because it's lighter. Yeah, it's 100 pounds lighter. Yeah. Um, the the one thing I will say about the first gen is from the rear three quarters, they look like Subaru WRXs to me. Yeah, kind of. The old wagons, remember? Although I the will say the hatchbacks. The Mazda Speed, I think, has like a much better looking rear window. Than the Subarus? Than the Subarus. Mm -hmm. It's like a much bigger. It almost looks from the back to me kind of in this, may detract some of you, minivan-esque. Yep. But I kind of dig it. So number three on the list, um, I think there's a mistake. Someone's written the word Crossfire SRT6. Yeah. In one of our podcasts, you asked me if I liked the Crossfire. And, well, maybe I'm coming around a little bit because <laughs> the SRT6 was the performance version of the Crossfire. Now, unfortunately, you could only get these in an automatic. But as most of you may know, this was based on the Mercedes-Benz SLK. Yeah. Um, but the but SRT6 <laughs> got the supercharged 3.2 liter V6, putting out 330 horsepower and 310 pound-feet of torque, known to do a 0 to 60 in less than five seconds. So these were manufactured um, during the Daimler Chrysler era, built in Germany in Osnabrück by Carmen. Ever heard the word Carmen? Carmen, Carmen Ghia? Carmen Ghia, same oh, Carmen. Yeah. And the engine was the M112 supercharged V6, which was, um, the, it's a Mercedes engine, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole car is a Mercedes car, just with a different kind of front end. I actually think the design on these is pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Uh, the outside is cool. The inside is like silver everywhere, but it felt like the Happy Meal toy returns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and so the Crossfire came out in 2004, but you had to wait until 2005 to get the SRT6 version, and they made that only for two years, 2005 and 2006, 
So it's kind of a rare bird. Mm. And auto only? Auto only. Um, that's auto that's only. the one that's kind of the wah, wah. But the crossfire you could get in the stick. You could, yeah. yeah. I mean, those had just the standard 3.2 liter V6, but it only put out like 215 horsepower, and mm. I just don't think that's good enough to make the list of performance car it's bargains. not enough. Would you get an SRT6? Mm, probably not. Okay. I would. I would probably go SLK fifty five AMG. I guess. Okay. But I had already had a Mercedes on the list, and so I didn't feel right putting another Mercedes on the list because I think that the other Mercedes is definitely faster than CLS fifty five AMG. But if I wanted to go for something convertible Mercedes ish. That's super fast. That's probably what I would go with. The issue with the Crossfire is it was based on the first generation of the SLK, mm -hmm. which is the R170, which was pretty dumpy. Yeah. You know? It does look better than the first generation SLK. I will you say You think that. so? Yeah. yeah. The first gen SLK kind of looks like it's sucking an egg. Um, <laughs> and the 32, look at that. Do you see that? It's like two eyes and there's like an egg in its mouth. It's uh, true, I guess. It's not very good. But the no. uh, AMG version was much better looking, the SLK 32. Uh, yeah, I, I'm on board with this. I love this era of SRT cars, though, because, like, yeah. the number at the end was the number of cylinders. So there's SRT4. It made sense. Which was Neon and Caliber. Yep. And then I think the only SRT6 was the Crossfire. Yes, And then correct. there was uh, Magnum, Charger, Challenger, and the 8. Oh, Grand Cherokee. Yep. Oh, and there was a 10. There was a oh, that's right, yeah, the, uh, the RAM. Yeah. The RAM SRT-10. That was a, that was a cool era. Now SRT doesn't exist anymore. That's so sad. Isn't it's that same, sad? It went the same way as Mazda Speed. They need to bring back both Mazda Speed and SRT. Mm. Yeah. I think. So, fun fact. The guy who designed this guy named Eric Stoddard. Yeah, Eric Stoddard designed what other sports car from the 2010s? You're going to look at my screen, aren't you? Is no, it perhaps? I won't look. I won't look. You tell me, Tommy. Which the what was it? Hyundai Genesis Coupe. Really? Mm-hmm. That now I think that's a better design, personally. You do? Yeah. They're terribly unreliable, but I think they look good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, he also designed the Dodge Viper in 03. Oh, wow. Good design. The Pacifica, not as good. And then yeah. the Sebring. Which Wait, which Pacifica? I think the first-gen Pacifica. Oh, gross. You didn't like the... Those are terrible. Now, that was an interesting car. Yeah. Do you ever think about the first-gen Pacifica ever? I see them at the auction every now and then, and they're just usually like in the worst possible shape. I literally saw one that the entire seat was duct tape. The whole... <laughs> the whole seat, the bottom part and the back part was just all duct tape. Somebody got... Just, I think they got bored with a roll of duct tape and decided to put it all over their entire seat. It was designed in kind of um, alongside the M-Class Mercedes. Uh, it sold pretty darn well. Um, it had some interesting things at Pacifica, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't mind the Pacifica. Look at look at that beauty. Ash, that's oh. hideous. It's a <laughs> terrible looking car. Yeah, what are you doing? Tom? I haven't seen one in so long. I forgot what they look like. They're terrible. Yeah. All right. Before we get to top two, we got one more question. Okay. Um, well, didn't we get an email from someone about a splash? You want to go over the email? That's a yeah. good one. Um, it might be lost forever. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Did you close my tab? I may have closed your tab. Your tab. Oh, wait. I think it's over here. Well, I know one of our viewers reached out because um, I have an affinity for the first-gen explorers. And the explorer, as some of you may know, is also based on or is 
The Explorer is based on the Ranger platform, which is their Ford small truck, and they bought a Ford uh, Ranger Splash, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of an appearance package that they did in the 90s on that Ford Ranger. Um and I think it's pretty cool. I got honestly. it. I figured yeah. it out. Yeah, Ranger Splash. Here we go. Now I just got to get the picture over here. Oh, boom. Look at nice. that. It is a cool. So this is a, a gentleman named Victor sent us an email. Um, yeah, he bought this early Ranger Splash. And it had these really cool graphics that say Splash. And this was also a step side. So it's got a little oh, step cool. in the back. I do like the step side. I like these Rangers a lot. These early Rangers are such good little trucks. So underrated. Um, you see them not as frequently as you used to. I remember these used to be everywhere, these Rangers. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they kind of have disappeared a little bit off, off the face of the earth. Well, and I know he asked the question on one of our, um, one of our podcasts about what to look for in a transmission is like, what are some of the telltale signs that it's going out? Um, and the thing that I told him was, um, along with driving it, you know, to pull that dipstick out and give it a good old whiff smell it and if it has like a burnt smell to it like a burnt fluid smell run away because those transmissions are not great um and generally any transmission if you smell that dipstick that comes out of there Mm -hmm. and it smells burnt that means they haven't changed their fluid in a while or there's a major problem going on in that transmission either way if it's an auto um i would shy away from those well or you can tell slippage so like if it like feels like it flares is a word for it like it shifts gears and before it engages the next gear it kind of goes exactly um, yep. or if it bangs or if it takes a long time to engage forward or reverse from park um, there's a lot of a lot of things that can go wrong yeah a lot of little things for sure it's one thing i noticed about going to these used car auctions is that it seems like if a car is a major issue nine times out of ten it's going to be a transmission related issue yeah i see that a lot especially with the newer stuff believe it or not the Power uh, shift automatics. Yeah, like the power shift automatics. We just did a video on this that's going on TFL Car, um, talking about the power shift automatics in the last gen Fiestas and Focuses, um, at least the ones that we got here in the States. They decided for whatever reason to put a dual clutch transmission in an economy car and an overly complicated one at that, that literally has like a failure rate of about. Just under a hundred percent. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a terrible decision. It was a dry clutch, dual clutch, uh, versus some of the newer ones, which are wet clutch. So it just didn't do well at low speed maneuvering, and then clutch packs would go out, and input shafts would fail, and it was just a mess. Um, so don't get the power shift transmission. They extended the warranty. Actually, I just learned this because of Brendan's research. Seventy thousand miles on the transmission. Hundred thousand miles. Hundred thousand on the yeah. transmission. Yeah, on and the then transmission. One fifty on the on the body control module, mm. which is pretty much the culprit. The body control module, which is the computer that controls the transmission's shift functions, uh, tends to go out. And when that goes out, it tells it to go into like random gears. And when it does go into random gear, it grenades it. Yeah. You know, because it'll sometimes it'll just basically uh, money shift itself. Yeah, not good. Yeah, you had one actually with the bad body with the bad module. Exactly. Yeah, and it it's it's weird because the transmission actually still worked perfectly fine, um, and the module was bad on the Fiesta that I had gotten. Um, thankfully, I got it really cheap, so I was able to get out of it for what I got into it. But um, it just kind of shifted weird. It's like the the transmission didn't know what to gear to be in, so it was just kind of <laughs> like random. You'd be driving around, and all of a sudden it would like go from second to fourth, or fourth to sixth, or whatever. But um, the problem is, is those control modules it, they are under warranty for one hundred and fifty thousand miles or ten years, 
but they're just not available yeah. because they've had such a high failure rate. You can't get those. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, number two in the performance bargain, although not as much as a bargain as it used to be, but the first-gen Boxster, the 986, sold from the late 90s through 2004, and I think you have the Boxster S on here. Yeah, I'm specifically talking about the Boxster S because I'm, when I was researching this, I saw one sell. Granted, it, I think it had like 130,000 miles on it, which is a little bit on the higher end for a Boxster S. Um, it sold for less than 10 grand. Oh, it's really cheap. And that's on one of the big auction sites. So I think maybe the prices are coming back down a little bit to reality on these um, because on some vehicles, prices have come back down yes. a little bit. Yeah, I they think were really high on Boxster S's for they a while. Were. Yeah. I think this is one of them. So I think now might be the time to get in because this is a way to get into a Porsche that has like the perfect weight balance with the engine being behind you rather than all the way on the butt of the car. Mm. Um, and if you get the S, they got a pretty potent little engine too. Um, in 2000, when they came out, they had 247 horsepower in this lightweight car. Um, but if you got a 2003 or newer, they had 254 horsepower. Wow. Um, we owned a 99 2.5-liter non-S, and it was such a nice little car to drive, but it was really slow. So that right. car had 201 horsepower, yeah. and it didn't quite have the push you'd expect out of a car with the Porsche badge on it, but the handling was great. Mid-engined, of course. That one had a five-speed manual. Quality is pretty good on these, too. Like, they're pretty reliable. Few things, IMS bearings, everyone freaks oh, out yeah. about, but not as big of an issue as people make it seem. And then you got to love kind of the fried egg look. Sure. You like the fried eggs? I don't mind it, actually. Well, and speaking to the IMS bearings, it's one of those things where these cars came out over 20 years ago now. So they've either been addressed or they're just not going to break. Right, they're not going to break. So it's one of those things where if you were buying it in 2005, you know, it's an issue you should be worried about because it could go wrong at any time. But now, in 2023, you're probably in the clear. And that's why I think it's a good car to get. And I think about this, the one you had only had 201 horsepower. If you could get it with 247 horsepower, it's a big jump. It's a pretty big jump. It's yeah. such a small car. Yeah, I think it's a fun car. Yeah, interiors are kind of crummy too. They're just kind of plasticky, but yeah, great handling. Yeah. And convertible tops. Um, uh, I got a question for you. Sure. What's going on with your Yukon? My has, Yukon? Has the Yukon drama finally come to an end? It's subsiding. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really have a significant update. I did get the um, 4x4 selector installed, mm. and it is working properly. It is the next to go up to my mechanic, actually. I may be bringing it up this weekend to the mechanic to finally get the suspension addressed. What's going on with the suspension? It, it needs everything as far as I know. I know it needs <laughs> all new shocks. It needs some bushings and because my tires are cupping. Oh. on there um and i want to put new tires on it but i also don't want to ruin those tires so i want to address the suspension first so that's the next step so three hundred thousand mile 8.1 liter yukon yeah three hundred fifty thousand mile camry wagon which one has held up better oof uh well i will say i think the camry has held up better but it's also a much simpler machine without a lot of, you know, it doesn't have four by four. Mm. It doesn't have all the creature comforts of the Yukon. So it's in, in its design, it's probably going to be more reliable because there's less to break. Gotcha. If you think about it that way. Yeah. And the Pontiac Vibe GT, the yep. high performance 
1.8 liter Pontiac with the engine-ish, more or less, from a Lotus Elise. Yeah. Uh, we it, recently I did two videos on it. Uh, one maybe up right before this podcast. It will be, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where you guys get introduced to my Vibe GT. Pretty cool machine. It pretty much everything is fixed on it. It runs great now. Uh, and it's time to sell it. So now, it may even be sold by the time this podcast comes out. We've talked about it in the past. Yeah. Does the Vive GT, did it live up to the hype? No. No. Yeah. I it mean, didn't. It's, here's the thing. It is surprisingly comfortable. Yeah, very comfortable. They're very reliable vehicles. Because they're Toyotas, the Matrix. Yeah. They're just not that fast. Even the GT trim. Even the GT trim. At 180 horsepower, I guess I just, I expected more, you know? I mean, we are up here at elevation where naturally aspirated engines do get strangled a lot by our thinner air, but I just, I don't know. It's like my Mini Cooper with the 160 horsepower engine feel, felt so much faster. Okay. Transmission, six-speed manual. Yeah. But doesn't help. Very, it's, is it just too slow? Is that your big issue? That's it? That's it. Honestly, yeah, it's it's fun to drive. It's got a good little sound to it. It's very practical. It's comfortable. It's reliable. It gets good NPGs. It's got all the things going for it to make it like a great first car. If you're a young enthusiast, I think you'd be hard-pressed to get a better car or a better first car than a Pontiac Vibe GT. But for me, that's had all of these other fun cars. It's just it's, Doesn't it's live not up as to up the hype. there. Okay. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first on the TFL Classics podcast, and we're bringing it home with number one, um, the best affordable bang-for-your-buck performance car, the C5 generation of the Corvette, built from the late 90s to the early 2000s, the fiberglass beast. Why is this number one? So this is number one because you guys have graciously let me drive it now on a few occasions. Uh-huh. Not only does this have the reliability of an LS engine, it's also, in my opinion, probably the most comfortable Corvette okay. that they've made. Yep. Um, I've now sat in both the C4, the C6, and the C7. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is by far the one that I would want to take like on a longer drive. Um, which, for those of you that are a little bit older, uh, maybe have some back problems or some hip problems going on, if you wanted a car that you could enjoy and you know, maybe take to the track every now and then, but still be comfortable and not have you in pain after driving. This is the one to get. Yeah. Great cars, right? And people look at them and they're like, oh, it's just a car show for old guys. But a lot of technology in it from the balsa wood floor to the um, the rear-mounted transmission, the revolutionary at the time, LS1 V8, um, advanced suspension, great handling. And it was, like you said, comfortable. It has these big lounging chairs. And they, like, change their character so much depending on whether they got, like, an automatic or a stick or a coupe or a hardtop or a convertible or a Z06. Uh, there's a little bit of everything in a C5 Corvette. Yeah. And so these LS1s put out 345 horsepower um, or 350, depending on, you know, what year you got. Which, honestly, for how light of a car this is, is plenty. I know... The Z06s have shot up in value recently, um, and so that's why I didn't put it on this list, uh, primarily because of the price. Yeah, um, I think that just the standard C5 Corvette is a better bargain for your money. It it rides softer. Um, you have more options of you know what you'd like to get, whereas the C6 you're stuck with that coupe. Um, yeah, you can get the so in the C5 they had a convertible, a coupe, and then they had a fixed roof coupe. Yeah, which is what the Z06 was. 
the fun thing about the fixed roof coupe is it was actually its own model for a while before it became the Z06. Interesting. And what the goal with the, the FRC, as people call it internally, was they wanted to develop a Corvette that would be cheaper. So they're going to do a Corvette with roll-up windows, no cruise control, like very basic, lightweight, really? and enthusiast Corvette. And then by the time they ran it past the bean counters, they're like, no, no one's going to buy a Corvette with roll-up windows. So they sold it with power windows and cruise control. And then the price is just like a little cheaper than the coupe. And okay. you didn't have the target top panel. So they kind of canned that, and then they brought it back as a Z06. Yeah, and when they came out with the Z06, we're talking a 405 horsepower, oh yeah, naturally aspirated V8, and that's, I mean, that's great, but but expensive. Yeah, you're gonna, you're realistically, you're probably going to spend what seven, eight grand more mm -hmm. just to get an extra 50 horsepower. Um, whereas I would just say get a C5, some minor modifications for a heck of a lot less money. Yeah. And you're going to have just as much, if not more, fun than owning the Z06. I think ours was like a, it was a nice, so ours is a 99 with 40,000 miles on it, and it was like 14 grand. Now, granted, yeah. it's an automatic, but a manual is going to be maybe a couple grand more. Sure. So $16,000, $17,000, manual C5 Corvette, all the reliability of the LS1, plus the handling of the Corvette, it's a great choice. You know, uh, a few months ago, I saw a 200,000-mile yeah? uh, C5 Corvette go across the auction block at the auction. Mm -hmm. And I remember that it sold for only $6,000. Oh, wow. That would yeah. have been a good deal. Yeah. Was it rough, though? The interior was rough, but it ran okay. Yeah. I think it's just that kind of tells you the build quality of the materials that GM was using back then maybe wasn't the best. On the inside. Yeah, yeah. The but the mechanical inside. bits the mechanical are really good. good. They're yeah. really good. Exactly. Well, folks, let us know what you think of our list of affordable classics. Be sure to email us your questions, or if you definitely want them answered, send them to us over at Patreon. And as always, this has been Tommy. And Brendan. We'll see you on another episode of the TFO Classics podcast. <laughs> You're just dropping the ball right I there forgot, at the end, Tommy. I forgot what we were doing. Is this a podcast? Is this a video? It could be both, depending and, on where you're... And, of course, your source for breakfast talk. Breakfast talk every yeah. uh, every Wednesday. And the Nissan Hardbody. Can't oh, forget the Nissan Hardbody. The best performance classic, the D21 Nissan oh, truck. Absolutely. Whew, we all need we to go buy one. Did you talk about it with Case last oh, week? I did, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Greg, you keep up the tradition of the Hardbody conversation. We'll keep it going. All right, guys. Take care. Catch you on the next one. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.